This is the Data Privacy Detective, and today we're going to talk about the, biz, the data broker industry, something a lot of us know very little about, and we have a great person to help us understand this, Rob Chabelle. Rob, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Now, Rob, you're the CEO and the co-founder of a company called Abine, and what does Abine do? Abine is an online privacy company. So all we do, uh, eat, sleep, and breathe, is coming up with solutions to protect uh, everyone's privacy when they go online, which is uh, a big enough job for any uh, small company. And you're not a startup of six months old. We see a lot of those in this business. You've been around how long? We've actually been around for 10 years. So we, myself and, and uh, my co-founders started the company around the same time that Facebook was having its initial public offering. Uh, I forgot to invest in that. Boy, yeah. I blew it, didn't I? <laughs> and I understand you've even taken your family around the world uh, not so long ago for six months. So you, you, you've seen the data into the broker industry maybe all over the world and, and while operating the company. That's right. Um, the data brokers and the data uh, being used about us is a worldwide phenomenon. It's not just uh, a problem here in the United States. I can tell you that from firsthand experience. Well, let's get right into it. Uh, and as I say, we're gonna focus on how data is, is bought and sold. And we're gonna, primary focus here is personal data. We're not talking about uh, corporate espionage. You're talking about individual data that gets out there in a lot of ways. and. And then uh, what is a data broker? What do they do? Yeah, so um, whenever you ask a what is question, uh, there, there's usually a lot of different answers. Um, data brokers can be anybody really that processes our, per as you were referring to it, our personal information. And that's information that we consider uh, about, that, that's really linked to some of our identity. So it could be our, our name and our birth date, it could be our email address, our phone number, it could be our credit card, uh, some username that we've signed up for. All those kind of things constitute uh, personal information. And then uh, to go one step further, uh, what data is that linked to? So when you combine um, data about us, personal information, with data about things we've done, where we've been, what apps are on our mobile phone, when, which sites we've browsed to, uh, what we've signed up for, that becomes, uh, you know, more interesting uh, to data brokers, people that process that information, more valuable, and in some, uh, in some uh, shapes and forms, more problematic uh, from a security and privacy standpoint. Yeah, and, uh, you, you know, I, I think you'd agree with me, there's nothing illegal about being a data broker. There may be some people as in any profession that don't do things quite right or than what we'd like. But the, the purchase and, and sale of data standing alone is a legitimate business. Would you, would you agree? Well, I would say it, it, is, it, it is definitely legal uh, today in the United States, but um, how legal should it be and what parameters and boundaries are placed around it, I, I do think is a, is a problem that is, uh, is being addressed uh, slowly by uh, lawyers, politicians, regulators uh, in this country and in other countries, and I think that needs to be addressed because absolutely making, yeah. making the blanket statement that it should be completely legal for 
companies to process our data in any way, shape, or form they want, I think is is overstepping uh, where uh, in equilibrium should be. And we're going to talk about that at the end, but let's try to understand the industry. So I, can you sketch for us? I mean, how many players are we talking about? And uh, sure. uh, are they global or, you know, what do you see out there? Yeah. So surprisingly, so let me start with the last comment. Um, are they global? Surprisingly, they're, they're generally not. Um, you know, obviously there's global platforms out there uh, in the technology industry in particular, the, uh, you know, your Microsofts, your Facebooks, your Googles, and, and so forth, and they have a lot of data about a lot of people all over the world, but they're not truly considered data brokers for the most part uh, when we talk about them. Uh, when we talk about data brokers, we're talking about people that you may be familiar with, um, uh, that most people may be familiar with, like credit bureaus. Um, so those are the probably the most familiar form of, of data broker, your Equifaxes, TransUnions, Mm -hmm. um, those kind of people that have our credit report, and by the way, they have hundreds and hundreds of other data points about our ourselves and our families. Um, those are the classic data brokers. And they're uh, a good example of somebody who is collecting data, sometimes uh, directly from the customer uh, or from a bank or whatever it may be, but they're also selling it. That's what you're saying. They also broker the data they have. They collect, buy, and sell. And in most cases, in most cases, data brokers do both. They both buy data and sell data about us. And in, in almost all cases, we as the consumer are not privy or part of those transactions. That's what I was going to ask. So, I mean, I, I can't remember a data broker calling me or sending me an email saying, can I uh, sell your medical data to somebody? I happen to have it. You just don't see that, do you? So most people are unaware of this is going on. Well, the legal community has largely structured these agreements that we all sign up for, you know, without thinking uh, when we when we do something or sign up for a new uh, account at a website or, or, or anything of that nature and don't read the small print. The way the small print is largely structured is opt out. So by signing up, you are opting into this data brokering of your data and should you want that to be limited in scope or uh, stopped completely, you will then have to go through a variety of hoops to opt yourself out of that agreement. Yeah, and that's largely the U.S. approach, except maybe for medical and financial data. But even there, that's a question. Whereas in Europe, you know, you have almost the opposite approach. And this is part of what's happening on, on the legal side. But so we have brokers out there, some are collecting and doing all the things you've said. And then do you, do you have others who, that's all they do, they collect and then they sell? Um, you know, they, they, that's not all they do. In fact, in, in you, part of your other question was how many of these guys are there? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there we, we really have the most experience, our service, our services have the most experience with this what we would call these these next generation of data brokers. They're not really the credit bureaus, but they're the they're the startups that have become bigger companies around our data that have collated it, collected it, are publishing it on the web, are advertising it on Google, and are correlating massive amounts of information about us that wasn't possible before the web sort of reached the status of maturity and data aggregation that we have now. And there are roughly about 125, 150 
of these kinds of data broker companies that we would call uh, next generation data brokers, online data brokers in the US alone. Very good. Now I've read a couple of places and these are not government statistics, so it's a guess, but I've read that the, this industry, the data broker industry could be in the 200 US, uh, 200 billion US dollar category. Could it be that big? Uh, I think it really depends on how you um, how how you do the math and count. How you do um, the math, okay. But, but, it's, but, but it, it, it's it's sizable. It's a multi-billion-dollar industry, and uh, you know, unfortunately, by every metric, from our opinion as a privacy company, obviously, unfortunately, from every metric, from revenues, from the amount of data points that they have about each of us, the amount of information that's publicly accessible, the amount of information that we are finding out there for our customers. Everything is growing fast, and, and in fact, uh, you know, many many would say too fast. And getting more and more sophisticated, uh, from what I've seen, uh, I, I take it you've seen the same. Now, let, now let me get. Is it, can you give us some examples, Rob, of uh, sure. how much this data is worth? So, let's say somebody has uh, millions of uh, consumers' data about their uh, uh, credit card buying, but you know which guesstimates their net worth maybe and how you know how many credit cards they have, all sorts of information, and they sell that to companies that want to market to these uh, consumers. Can you give us a typical, uh, you know, what is the data worth? How does it sell? Right. Um, there are no hard and fast uh, rules, but we'll give you some bookends. Yeah. Um, for... Uh, Accessing a consumer's profile on one of these online people search sites and data brokers like whitepages.com or spokio.com, the, uh, the price to, to look up a full profile that contains our estimated net worth, house value, previous addresses, uh, contact information, all that kind of stuff, uh, is as low today as 99 cents for a single lookup. Uh, and the subscription services to look up more than one person uh, average about uh, $19 a month. So that's the sort of direct pricing um, that, uh, that is out there on the web to get information about an individual. As to the other, I think, part of your question, which is, well, gee, how much are, is our data being sold for? Not yeah. how much can we, can we buy it for, but how much is our data being sold for? Um, Typically, it ranges uh, from, uh, and, it, and it depends on how much, you know, how, how good a consumer we are and if we're in the market for some high valuable uh, good or, uh, you know, target, targeting uh, for that reason. But leads for, um, for an individual typing something into Google like uh, auto insurance uh, or a new credit card or something like that can go upwards of $250 just for the lead. So our data can be, uh, you know, significant. If you think about that over a year's time, our data can be worth thousands of dollars to a data broker. And that may explain why California approached its law that's now in effect uh, as it did, which is, you know, this data has value. We're not sure exactly how much, but it's worth more than uh, nothing. And that's why there's a business associated with it. Now, is there a dark side to this? We talk about the web and uh, I don't know if you have a sense of this. I've heard that the so-called dark web is actually much bigger than the white cloud web or the thing that, that most of us uh, deal with. Is there a dark side to uh, the data brokerage uh, industry here? Well, 
you know, what, what we're talking about, the data broker industry, I'm, I'm starting to refer to as the light web in contrast to the dark web because these are legal companies selling our data legally. It's publicly searchable on Google and, you know, it, it's all, uh, you know, it's all uh, okay uh, and permissible. And so, you know, that, that, that problem I'll call the light web problem. And it's, it's one that we focus on from a privacy perspective. The dark web uh, is really the result, really didn't exist before the problem of data breaches got really, really bad. And most uh, uh, listeners will probably know what we're talking about because they've received so many emails and, and communications saying, hey, uh, knock, knock, uh, it's, it's you know, some company you forgot about uh, doing business with, we lost your data, um, it, it did or didn't include your credit card number, it did or didn't include your password. As, as those data breaches became more commonplace, uh, what happened was all those files that were hacked or lost or stolen um, found a home in uh, in what they what they now call the dark web, and it's grown as the data breaches have grown. So there's so much more data uh, floating around this dark web uh, out there about us. And the dark web is something that you can't get to from your browser. You have to run special software. You use Bitcoin to buy and to buy these databases. It's all sort of um, illegal and nefarious and that's why they call it the dark web and and the major problem there is um, nobody can secure your data uh, appropriately I mean that's sort of proven by the amount of data breaches and the only thing an individual can do uh, about the dark web problem is to make sure they change their password or I'm going to argue a little bit self-servingly use a tool like we have a, we have one tool and there are others out there that let you what uh, let you alias your credentials before you give them out to another party. This is your uh, what do you call it? The delete me service? Delete me? No, service? this is this is actually the blur service. Oh, the and, blur. B, B L U R. Yeah. So we have. And what a, we does have a it do, called, Rob? Yeah. Tell me about blur. Yeah. So I don't really want to focus on our product in particular. But I want to focus on 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 the method because really yeah. the dark web, to your question, is a frustrating um, place to try to um, try to say. Well, what do I do? You know, what should I do as a as a person to protect myself from the dark web? Well, number one, as I said, use unique passwords and make sure that they are unique at in particular at the accounts where um, you care about a potential. Uh, loss or or theft or, or or hack, and that could be anywhere that has a bunch of your identity information that could be used for identity theft and all that stuff. So well, let's take a short ID. detour into that because some people say, "Oh, use a password manager." Other people are saying, uh, even going to a single uh, double factor uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, identification. Others are going to sort of the Vine Pay or the Apple Pay method. All sorts of so there are a variety of approaches, and you all offer one solution. But you're saying, uh, as a consumer, the most important thing somebody can do to protect themselves from spear phishing and other kinds of things that they see coming out of not just the dark web, but from all over the world, uh, is to give real attention to their passwords. I think that's the easiest, uh, the easiest and, and, and most effective thing. And, and obviously, as you mentioned, if you tie it to a second factor, if you have to you know, get a message on your phone right. or, uh, or what have you. 
even better way to secure those accounts. But multi-factor, yeah, yeah. In this day and age, because you're because so much information has been uh, has been aggregated out there from data breaches on the dark web, you need you you really need to do that. Um, and 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 for those people that want to go a step further, the kind of solution that we have with our blur tool and that you know other um, other uh, software enables you to do, including some new software from Apple, which you know which you mentioned, sign in with Apple. Um, allows you to not give out your real personal information in the first place. So when you're signing up for a new app or a new web uh, account, you give a what, what's called a unique email address. And that email address could be joe at you know, um, uniqueemail.com instead of your uh, you know, uh, Microsoft email or your Gmail account. And in fact, we also offer unique phone numbers and unique credit card numbers. All of these things privately tie back to your your real um, personal information, but they actually don't give out the personal information, the real personal information to the third party in the first place. So that helps not only with the dark web, because if there's a hack or a data breach, you can turn off of those credentials that you've given out, um, but they also help with the data broker industry because they actually protect your privacy and let you track down those data brokers who are uh, sharing your information behind the scenes and never telling. So in a way, it's a kind of a form of encryption up front uh, or a second key to the, your, the door of your information. It, it's a way to think about what you're talking about. That's Very right. Good it, 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 yeah. it's, sort of like, it's, it's sort of like creating a, I don't want to use the word of fake ID, but um, mm -hmm. because they're real credentials, but the, the best way to address this problem um, in the, from a forward-looking standpoint is to use this kind of encryption to kind of make sure that you're not giving out your real information in the first place, but you can still use all these products and services. You can still get a call from, um, from a company you bought something with online if they need to reach you. They just don't have your real mobile number, so they're not sharing it with data brokers and selling it, and you're not getting spam calls and robocalls, which is, you know, a frustrating um, uh, for for all of us, and and you know, sort of an intractable problem. Um, so that that's the modern approach. And, and and if you look at what Apple is doing, and you look at what um, uh, Samsung Pay and and Apple Pay and others are doing, they're all using this uh, this approach behind the scenes. And what we're advocating for is more people to understand how to do it, uh, so that um, so that they are fundamentally both more secure and more private when they create new accounts and create new relationships. And, and, and really, uh, they're not, yeah, the, the, it's, it's a little bit um, of an advanced uh, uh, way to think about your identity online, but it's the right way to think about it for the future. Right, very good. And let's, let's turn uh, in the last part of this uh, session together, uh, Rob, to uh, your advice to regulators. Uh, you know, we don't have world government. We don't have a, an assembly of the world to pass the uh, latest and greatest privacy law. And you see it all over the world. You see GDPR, much more consumer focused than uh, individual focused in the United States. I guess we are kind of similar with medical and financial data, but otherwise almost anything goes. You've got state laws emerging. So what's your advice on, on, on this? Now we're focused on data brokering, but it's really on how do you really give people the right uh, to control better than they yeah. can today their privacy? What, what's yeah. your advice? So 
I, I, I sit down with the regulators when, when possible. I was in Brussels before the, um, for example, before the pandemic hit with a bunch of the data protection authority uh, folks in the EU uh, and really around the world, uh, even China, Korea, Japan, uh, South Africa, you're starting to see uh, new um, uh, government organizations focused around protecting consumers' data spring up. So this is absolutely a worldwide phenomenon. Regulators are moving on it. Politicians are supporting it. It's, it's generally got grassroots support because consumers are starting to say in droves, hey, you know, I don't know everything about this space. I don't, I don't really need to be an expert. I just know that you guys need to protect my uh, identity a little bit better than you've been doing it, my personal data. So it's definitely a global phenomenon. And the regulators are basically writing rules to allow people to ask companies what data they have about them and get a response, um, which was never enshrined into a lot of laws globally, including in the US. And now with the California privacy law and the upcoming uh, version two of the California privacy law, you're starting to see that the ability for, for any one of us to say, hey, give me the data you have about me, that's become very crystallized and clear. And um, I think that's good. Uh, and, and the regulators are continuing to discuss with industry what, you know, what that data uh, means and how it should be sent back and all that kind of stuff. And then the next step the regulators are working on is, well, what if I want to control that data that, that I asked for? Um, what if I want you to delete it? What if I want you to limit it? And they're discussing, and I think it's going to be an ongoing conversation in the next administration, whoever is in charge, uh, what, is, what controls should consumers have for the data that, that companies already have, data brokers and other companies already have about us. And the one message I self-servingly would leave with uh, anyone who's a regulator and uh, welcome, um, you know, uh, also all cons consumers to support it at the ballot box is let, let uh, a marketplace develop for helping consumers protect their privacy. Uh, what these companies and regulators are relying on is the same problem we talked about earlier in this segment, which is opt-in versus opt-out. Yeah. Typically, at the end of the day, if you strip away all the fancy language and, and, and legal clauses, what the industry wants is for every consumer to have to go through a bunch of red tape and hoops to get their, their privacy uh, respected at different places. And what we do at our service, Delete Me, is we make that super easy for consumers. You go to our website or businesses. You go to our website, joindeleteme.com, you sign up, and we do it for you. We give you a report. We say, here's where we found your data. Here's where we opted you out. And you can go check every three months. We send you an update. We tell you where we found it. We, we go through all the different processes for you, and we make sure it's done right. And what, from what we can see, Consumers love services like ours because it makes it easy. And what we tell regulators is you need to stand up and allow a for-profit marketplace to develop around consumer privacy protection so that it's not the same old story where the, the equivalent of um, the settings page way below that you have to scroll through and click through 20 buttons and then finally you see a little radio box and it says something and you're not sure if you check it or uncheck it exactly what's going to happen that's what they're that's what they want and what we want and what we want regulators to enshrine into the next 
uh, set of laws and legislation is the ability, simply one thing, which is the ability for companies and consumers to work together to make privacy controls easier in the real marketplace. And, and that, get yeah. up my soapbox now. No, no, no. That, that, that you, you've raised the fundamental difference, I would say, between Europe and the United States, which is Europe privacy by default do it that way. And then the company has to find a way within the law to overcome that and be able to do things. Whereas the United States has been, as you say, much more of a free market society. But you're making a key point here, and that is the scales are a little imbalanced here, aren't they, between companies and individual consumers. We all want the convenience of GPS and everything else. And uh, I, I wonder how many of our listeners have actually read any of the privacy policies that say, click here after reading, you know what I mean? And you're making a real important point that there, if we're going to take the free market approach, there has to be a little better balance between the consumer and the business. I think that's, that's your message. That's, ex that, that's exactly right. And I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a big proponent of the free market. Yeah. All I'm asking the regulators for is let there be a free market. Yeah. Encourage. Very interesting. Rob, thank you so much for taking us through this fascinating brief tour of the data brokerage industry and what we can do about it as individuals and uh, what regulators are thinking about. And it's up to all of us to tell our representatives what we think. As always, I close by reminding all of us, protecting your personal data begins with you.